Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Father, Lord God, um, we bless you and we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that um, we come before you, Lord, uh, empty-handed. Lord God, that we are not adequate within ourselves. We are dependent upon you in, in every possible way. And yet, Lord God, uh, in our weakness, Lord, you are our strength. Um, you are our, our help. You, are, you supply all that we need by your grace, by your Holy Spirit, and because of our union with you through your Son, Christ. And so we thank you again that our, that our eyes are fixed on Jesus, upon, Lord God, the gospel, upon the promises you've made in your word, regardless of how we feel, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our sin, that, again, our trust is in you and not ourselves. And so we pray again that our encouragement this morning is, again, found in you, uh, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would uh, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and that as we study Pilgrim's Progress again, that uh, you would be our teacher, um, and you would help us, Lord, to, um, again, honor and worship you in all that we do. So again, we just thank you for this time together as your people and for the blessing of opening up your word. And uh, we just, uh, just want to commit this time in your hands and ask it in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are finishing up section eight, and then we'll, we're going to jump in uh, morning, chapter nine. Uh, I'm going to be pretty ambitious this morning, so if I kind of uh, push it a little bit, just because time is not our friend. Um, I have this day, this Sunday, and Lord willing, I have next Sunday, and that's the last you'll see of me. So, um, and for some of you, that might be a relief, because we've been working on this uh, uh, study since August. Uh, so we've been uh, going the, the long route here on Pilgrim's Progress. All right, let's talk about um, what's where our characters are at. Now, last week, I left you with a little bit of a cliffhanger, if you remember that, okay? And remember that Hopeful and Christian... Um, they were on the path and then they got off the path, right? This whole, um, they went over a stile and they, they went to Bypath Meadow and uh, realized they got diverted from the way and they, um, they were trusting in their own uh, confidence and their own understanding uh, about what it meant to be, uh, uh, be faithful to the Lord and uh, they were following a, a character named Vain Confidence and then Vain Confidence falls into a big pit, boom, right? He dies and uh, they get essentially trapped uh, by a flood and different events happen and they don't realize they're, on the, they're trespassing on the, the property of a beast, a monster named Giant Despair. And he lives in a place called Doubting Castle. And remember, this is an allegory. This is an allegory. And so uh, Christian, remember Bunyan? John Bunyan writes this story. Uh, his, his characters have uh, fallen into sin and then that leads them into being captured by giant despair and thrown, dragged to Doubting Castle, Doubting Castle, and not little despair, giant despair, big despair, uh, and they're thrown into this dungeon. And this dungeon is essentially uh, uh, the worst possible place you could be uh, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, where they're, without, they're in darkness and they're without food, they're without water, they're beaten by giant despair. They're in misery. They're in the, a, a low point in their lives, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And to the point where last time when we left off, 
uh, Giant Despair's wife recommends that um, the way to deal with these trespassers is to recommend that they commit suicide. And so they literally bring to the, the, the cell, to the dungeon, you know, uh, poison and uh, a rope and I think, I, I can't remember if it was a knife, it can be a knife, but it was some other instrument. Okay, let's talk about this. It's interesting uh, the Pilgrim's Progress that John Bunyan would address this issue. Again, uh, John Bunyan was in prison for 12 years, um, and it's, it's not un inconceivable that the t there were times where he was in giant, you know, Downing Castle, and he was accosted by giant despair, and, and there were times where perhaps he thought he was never going to get out. All right? And uh, you already know that in our society our today, and today that um, su suicide has been a problem, a growing problem. Uh, the last statistics I looked at, 30% uh, growth in, in that area, going back to COVID, going back to the pandemic, going back to a lot of social problems and so on. But um, it is a growing problem in our society. And again, there's, a, there's lots of reasons for that. But what's interesting, again, is that these are believers. And so you would think, perhaps, that a Christian would not commit suicide. But you already know that there are Christians, people who are professing Christians, that for, for, for whatever reason, they do take their own lives. Okay, it's on record. In fact, I, I would, uh, our school, uh, a couple years ago, we had a, a young man, a former student, who took his own life. And as far as I know, he was a professing believer. He had been counseled. Uh, he was in a loving family. Um, he struggled with some issues, apparently, and he took his own life. And that shook our whole student body. That was, it was troubling. It was hard. And so Bunyan's not avoiding this very, very hard topic, which I really, really appreciate here. And so um, let's talk about this. And so I'm going to read a little bit from Pilgrim's Progress. And this, this, uh, so Christian's going to, they're going to have to remember, they're in this dungeon. And Christian uh, says, brother, he's talking to Hopeful, what shall we do? The life we now live is miserable. For my part, I don't know whether it's better to live this way or die without delay. Quote, my soul chooseth strangling rather than life, unquote. And the grave looks better to me than this dungeon. Shall we take the giant's advice? And so here's Christian. He's the main character. Like, he's kind of the hero. He represents, you know, the pilgrim that we are. And he's contemplating, like, well, maybe we need to take the shortcut. Maybe this is just so bad that... This idea of taking our own lives looks even attractive, all right? Now, fortunately, though, he has someone with him, right? He, remember we talked about last time is that when you suffer alone, then you see them be much more open to suggestions of the, of, of the devil, the weaknesses of the flesh, um, that we need one another desperately, especially in these times like these, right? So Hopeful is going to counsel him. He's the younger Christian, but he says, Indeed, our present condition is dreadful. And death would be far more welcome to me than to live th like this forever. But let's remember that the Lord of the country to which we are going has said, you shall not kill another person. Much more, we are forbidden to take uh, giant despair's advice to kill ourselves. Besides, he who kills another only commits murder upon his body. But the one who kills himself kills both body and soul. And moreover, my, my brother, you talk of ease in the grave, but you have forgotten the hell where murders go. For no murderer has eternal life. Hopeful goes on. He says, And let us consider again that, that all the law is not in the hand of giant despair. Others, as far as I can understand, have also been captured by him 
yet have escaped. Who knows, but that God has made the world that the God who has made the world may cause the death of giant despair, or that sometime or another he may forget to lock us in, or he may have some other of his fits and lose the use of his limbs. And if ever should if that should ever happen again, I am resolved to take heart and try my utmost to get away from him. I was a fool not to try to do it before, but now, my brother, let's be patient and endure for a little longer. In time, we may escape, but let us not be our own murderers. With these words, Hopeful uh, calmed his brother, and they endured the dark together that day in their sad condition. And so again, this, the, the, the beauty of discipleship, the beauty you know, God gives us someone who can talk sense to us, right? When we are in these, these um, times of despair, of difficulty, depression, uh, we're in the, the valley of the shadow of death, when we're um, the dark night of the soul, whatever you want to call it, when God uses someone to speak scripture to us, to speak the word of God to us, who counsels us, who loves us, who's there for us, right? And that's what hopeful is, right? And so on your outline on page eight here, uh, the th- real quickly, the three points that hopeful re- uh, does, and you see the word reminds, reminds. Again, when we forget, God reminds, right, through hopeful. Hopeful reminds Christian of who God is, all right? That's a really important point. Again, when we're going through these times, we, we almost go into this practical atheism. We forget who God is. Sometimes we think that God maybe doesn't even exist, or God has forgotten us, or God somehow is not God. And you need a Christian, again, who's going to remind you, no, 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 no. This is who God is, and, uh, and you can trust him and be encouraged by that, especially his sovereignty. It kind of hopeful uh, reminds Christian of that. Also, a hopeful reminds Christian of what God has said. Okay, and this is really super important again, is that uh, we're going to hear it over and over again. Yes, sir. What page are you on? on the uh, page 8. Um, chapter 8, right? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Um, about uh, what has God said, not how we feel. What has God said, not how we feel. Because a lot of times, again, we're trusting in our emotions and our feelings and our, we're our own understanding, and again, it's wrong. Okay, it's been twisted. It's, been, uh, it's not correct. And, some, and we have to be reminded about walking by faith, we are to hold on to the promises of God. What God has said is true. What God has said is accurate. What God has said, we're to cling to, not to what um, we're being uh, su- suggested to us that is uh, sinful or perhaps even um, could lead to further complications of despair. And then the last one here is a hopeful reminds Christian that they must resist him to despair. They must resist, okay? Resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? Uh, for a believer, those who dwell by the Spirit of God, we are assaulted by despair. We're just struggling with de- depression. We're under these problems and so on, yet we're dwelt by the Spirit of God. We're not alone. We're not alone. God is, again, speaking to us and reminding us again of his love for us, reminding us that we belong to him, again, being the light in a time of darkness, okay? And so uh, the point is, is that don't give in, don't give up, you know, um, trust the Lord. Now, uh, going back to the story is that uh, giant despair goes to bed, thinking like these guys are going to take their own life or do something like that. His wife says, well, how did it go? And basically, uh, John Despair says, well, these guys are pretty tough. They haven't taken their lives yet. And so the wife says, well, you need to take it up a notch again. So on page nine of your outline here, um, you need to take them out to the courtyard. And the courtyard is basically the graveyard. That's where all the other victims have been. They've got all these skeletons and all this gruesome you know, body parts and so on and so forth. 
And so Jai Despair drags these two dudes out. I've got a little picture there for you there. And um, it says here uh, on point A, on Saturday morning, so remember they get captured on Wednesday and now it's Saturday morning. On Saturday morning, Giant Despair takes Hope, Christian and Hopeful to the castle yard. There they see the skeletal remains of the many victims of despair and a graphic message that resistance and hope is futile. And so again, this whole uh, Giant Despair is trying to, to use a, a visual like, you know, these people didn't escape, these people were victims, these people were lost, they perished. Give up, give up, give up, give up. And, um, and, you know, and then, he, of course, John Despair beats them more and then drags them back to the dungeon. All right? So, the, so you, uh, you know, again, it's pretty desperate. Now, this is where it gets to be interesting. I like this. On page 9, under point B, is that what they begin to do on Saturday, gets into the evening, is that especially around midnight, they begin to pray. Okay? And so, again, this is time back to Scripture over again. You think, again, of uh, Peter. You think about Paul and Silas in Acts 16, where they're imprisoned, right? And it's, it's midnight. It's at nighttime, and they're in the dungeon. Literally, they're in that cell, and they're, they're singing hymns, right? And by the way, I need to make that point, too, is that um, a lot of times when we're going through these difficulties, uh, hearing hymns, I'm hearing hymns, singing hymns, hearing hymns, hearing the Word of God in song. Okay, um, is a blessing, is a comfort, is a counsel. All right. So again, listening to scriptural music a lot of times ministers in ways sometimes that um, uh, perhaps where the, the the verbal word perhaps would not. Anyway, so they begin to pray and they continue to pray until almost the break of day. Then Christian, half bewildered, that's what's interesting. He's half bewildered, he's like, oh, silly me. I've got a key. <laughs> so he goes and pulls it out of his pocket. Look what I got. And hopeful, I'm, I'm just making this up, I'm paraphrasing. Hopeful's looking like, really? You've had the key all the time. We've been... <laughs> Smack you. No. Okay, so he doesn't do it. Okay. Christian says, what a fool I've been. To thus lie in the stinking dungeon when I could have been free. I, have, I had the key called promise in my bosom which I'm persuaded will open any lock in Doubting Castle. So you have the sub point here, because now it's Sunday. Now it's Sunday. By the way, today's Sunday. Um, the pilgrims pray through the early morning on the Lord's Day. It is on the Lord's Day they remember Christ. The day that Christ rose from the dead. The day the church gathers each week for prayer, fellowship, and the preaching of the word. It's on the Lord's Day that the light of the gospel again dawns in Christians' thinking. Bunyan's timing here is significant. It's a subtle reminder that we need to stay under the preaching of God's word and seek out the prayers of God's people, even if, and especially if, we are in the bonds of doubt and despair. And that's important, again, because a lot of times when we're going through doubt and despair, we want to suffer alone. We, we try to isolate ourselves. We pull back from people, and that's the least thing that, that we need to do. We need to, be, again, uh, be in fellowship, be under the word of God, and uh, be exposed to the word of God. Now, I want to talk real quickly about the promise, because the promise is going to come up over and over and over again. And uh, in the book I've mentioned before, Knowing and Growing in the Assurance of Faith by Joel, Dr. Joel Beakey, which I highly recommend here, um, he says this about the Puritans believe that God's promises in Christ are the primary ground for a believer's assurance. Thomas Brooks wrote, and Thomas Brooks is an old Puritan, uh, wrote, the promises of God are a Christian's Magna Carta, their chiefest evidences for heaven. Divine promises are God's deed of gift. 
They're the only assurance where the saints must show for their right and title to Christ, to his blood, and all the happiness and blessedness that comes by him. The promises are not only the food of faith, but also the very life and soul of faith. They are a mine of rich treasure, a garden full of choices and sweetest flowers. In them are wrapped up all the celestial contentments and delights. And so again, we don't want to be vague about the promises of God. We need to memorize the promises of God. We need to focus on the gospel. Again, how does God save us? What, what has Christ done? Um, we need to go back and we've talked about a gr- um, clinging to, does God love me? Will he ever forsake me? Uh, will he, uh, you know, how secure is my relationship with Christ? And again, it's found in the gospel. It's found in God's word. And going back and reading it, meditating upon it, praying over that, and, and praying the Holy Spirit, again, will just implant that in our hearts and minds, again, where that's our light and that's our hope and that's our encouragement. And again, that's God's promise to us. And God, who cannot lie or fail, will, will, uh, will deliver us. And so, of course, what will happen? Uh, they start putting the key in, right, the door. And I like the, the, love the language there, the, the dungeon door. They put the key in, and the door just flies open. Boom! Right? It's like, oh, this is going to be easy. And so they just start going through the courtyard. And, of course, they're trying not to wake up Giant Despair, right, and his wife. Um, and uh, they get to the iron gate. That's the outer gate there. Uh, which is the book uh, Ben's going to talk about where that's a little bit harder and there's a little bit idea about why, why is it a little bit harder, but it opens the door. And, uh, or the gate, excuse me. Then on page 10, uh, it says here, Christian keeps the key of, in his bosom, close to his heart, where he also keeps his role, his assurance of salvation, the, the role he received at the cross. The darkness of doubting caused him to forget. Now as light dawns, the understanding and the application of God's word, he remembers. And they have a little uh, quote here from uh, Bunyan's biography, uh, Grace of Bounty, all chief of sinners here, where Bunyan talks about kind of a similar experience he went through. Um, on page 11, at the very top there, I've got uh, the lyrics from Amazing Love, uh, How Can It Be, uh, you know that song again. But this whole idea, again, a lot of scripture uh, that's in song is meant to uh, minister the gospel to us and the promises of God. Um, now, if you look over to uh, the next line that says, uh, you have said, we must look to Christ if we are to escape from Doubting Castle. If we lose sight of Christ or depend upon anything but him for help, despair will find us again. And this is the thing again, Doubting, uh, doubting Castle, Giant Despair, Little Despair, Middle Despair, whatever despair size is, it can, can reappear. can reappear. It's not a one-time thing. All right? It's not a one-time thing. And so we need, again, to be careful about how we walk, to stay on the path, Right? not to take shortcuts, not to start um, trusting in our own abilities, our own understanding, getting careless with sin. And the point is that sometimes when that happens, we end up back in the dungeon, right? And so only the promises of God, the light of of the gospel, again, will bring us back out there. And you have here from uh, uh, J.B. Cleaver, uh, he uh, he has a book called Lectures on the the Pilgrim's Progress. He writes, alas, alas, how many are, are there there of getting into this gloomy prison. Oh, if Christ is not always with the soul, or if at any time to go astray from him, or if it's reliance beyond anything other, uh, whatever but his mercy, his blood, his grace, then it is near the gloom of this, then it is near the gloom of this dungeon. Then giant uh, despair may be heard walking in his grounds, and verily the echo of his footsteps often minds falls upon the soul before the grim form rises on the vision. And some have once entered the castle, have stayed there a great while, because they have tried many of the other means of escape, then the blood of Christ. 
because they've used lockpicks and penances and stratagems and the help of friends outside of the castle, but not the key of the promise, and that not all right, not throwing themselves upon the Savior alone for pardon, peace, and justification. A man who gets into difficulty through sin will never, never get out by self-righteousness, nor are past sins, nor the burden of them to be ever removed by present morality. Nothing but faith, nothing but the precious blood of Christ can take away sin, can remove the stain of it, can deliver the soul from its condemnation. Now, they, the Christian hopeful, they skedaddle. That's a good Bible word for you there. They <laughs> skedaddle. Um, they get back to the, the path, the road, thinking, whew, we escaped. Um, and they decide to put up a pillar, like basically a sign saying, don't go, danger, don't go that way. And, and to warn others, uh, so make sure they don't experience the same thing they had to go through. And then finally, on page 12 here, uh, a quote here from uh, Beaky's book about, as far as application, Beaky will say, if you're a believer who has lost much or even all of your assurance, do not despair. Keep running the race before you, laying aside sin, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. He will send his spirit to restore you. You may have lost your assurance, but you have not lost your sonship, nor have you lost the Holy Spirit's commitment to continue working in you. Even your awareness of, the, of the lo your loss is his work in you. But don't forget, you may have lost mo what you may have lost momentarily, your temporal happiness, you have not lost your eternal happiness. Your loss is recoverable. If Job and David recovered their loss of assurance, why shouldn't you? Above all, remember that your loss here is only for a short time. Soon you will have perfect assurance and perfect enjoyment of God forever in this eternal celestial city. Quote, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Psalm 24, 17. All right, so that's number eight. Okay, I am cooking. All right. Uh, we are on now chapter nine. Any questions before we get into chapter nine? Total silence. We, when we started in August, you guys really talked a lot. I'm just, I don't know what happened to you. Uh, what was that? Oh, okay, all right. Okay, so the two characters, Christian and Hopeful, are back on the path. And they end up a place called the Delectable Mountains. Okay, it sounds like a, I always like the word delectable, all right? When something's delectable, it's delightable. Is that a word? Yeah, delightful, all right? Yeah, uh, you get the idea. And in the text it says, Christian and Hopeful uh, then went on until they came to the Delectable Mountains, which belonged to the Lord of that hill to which we've spoken of before. So they went up to the mountains to behold the gardens, the orchards, and the vineyards, and the fountains of water. There they also washed themselves and freely drank and ate from the vineyards. And so again, you see this, this imagery over and over again is that uh, a lot of times when the, the pilgrims go through hard times, and they go through difficulties, they go through problems, after they go through that, they, they, they enter into a lot of times a time of rest, some time of, of recovery, some place where there's refreshment. Okay, God in his mercy and grace uh, kind of knows how much we can handle. Praise God. Right, and so, and a lot of the imagery I've mentioned last time is like the Garden of Eden or like the Book of Revelation. It talks about some kind of agricultural paradise, a garden, an arbor. Um, uh, I like the vineyards. Okay, a lot of vineyards. Okay, okay, there you go. And um, there, it's Jesus's wine. And so um, they're uh, they're they're there. And the question a lot of times is, well, what does this represent? Okay, so these are the delectable mountains. And so, according to a lot of different commentaries, it could be a multiple things. Okay, number one, it could be a picture of the local church. Two, as a representation of the ministry of the Word of God by godly pastors and its effect on pilgrims. Three, the mountains represent the Sabbath and all that the Sabbath rests entails. 
Uh, for example, a day set aside for instruction in Sunday school, for sitting under the preaching of godly ministers, and for meditation on scripture and prayer. And I just put, basically, it's all of them. Okay, I think it's just all of them. All right. Now, it's interesting is that when uh, Christian and uh, Hopeful get there, they're, they're met by shepherds. So this is really on the nose here, okay? They're shepherds, okay? And they're watching sheep, okay? So pastors are shepherds, you're the sheep, okay, we're the sheep. Okay, you get it, all right? And um, it's interesting when they first, uh, when they encounter them, Christian's a little bit, like, hesitant. He's like, um, okay, this fool looks good. There's a lot of orchards and all this great stuff here, but I don't want to be fooled again. All right. So, so he says, like, like, so he goes here. Um, um, so Christian says, "Is this the way to the celestial city?" And one shepherd says, "You are just on the path." And then Christian says, "Well, how far is it?" And then the shepherd says, "Too far for any, but those who really want to get there." <laughs> okay. Thanks. <laughs> then Christian goes, "Is it is the way safe or dangerous? Safe for those to whom it is safe, but transgressors shall fall." All right, thanks, bud. Okay, so, um, and then he goes, okay, so this is owned by the, by the king. This is owned by the Lord. This is a, uh, so this is a place of rest, a place of relief. And so uh, they basically the shepherds say, this is for you. This is for the pilgrim. This is, uh, again, uh, and so there's going to be a ministry going on here. And so the four shepherds, they, they have names. Okay, so the first one uh, is uh, knowledge. Okay, is knowledge. And so it says here, and I have a quote from a text, says here, a truly great minister will have the highest knowledge, a thorough knowledge of the Bible, and thus of himself. And I like that little line, by the way. From this knowledge, then, he will feed his sheep, showing them the holiness of God and the depravity of the human heart. His soul will be laid bare as he preaches earnestly because of the burden God has laid upon his soul. Okay, so this first shepherd, his name is Knowledge. And again, this is the, the traits, the characteristics of a godly pastor, elder, or even just a godly Christian, I would pray, right? And you have, again, uh, scripture uh, with this. You have 1 Timothy 4.13 from the pastoral epistles. Uh, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, uh, and so on. Um, you have 1 Timothy 4.16. You can read that there. And 2 Corinthians 6, verses 3 through 7. The second uh, shepherd is named Experience. Quote, a pastor is able to speak with absolute authority about God's comfort and the strength of his everlasting arms after going through a difficult time in which the, ex the existence of these attributes have been proved by experience. It is knowledge that has been tried and tested in the crucible of God's furnace that enables a pastor to bring to life verses printed on a page to send flaming arrows to pierce hard hearts. Blessed is a pastor who can speak with such authority on the basis of his own experience of God. So you have knowledge and you have experience, right? Um, and so you want have so you have again in the pastoral epistles from 1 Timothy verse 12, uh, let no one despise your youth, because Paul's talking to Timothy, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You also have 2 Timothy 4:13, uh, Paul talking to Timothy again, meditate on these things, give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Right? Now, the third uh, shepherd is named Watchful. This represents a good pastor who is attentive over the, over the souls of his congregation. His vigilance will be seen as he visits, instructs, and personally deals with his people. Also, a watchful shepherd is able to detect wolves when they break in to do harm to the sheep, and he deals with them accordingly. And again, this is just not one 
pastor, this is the elders, these are those in leadership, those are small group leaders, anyone again, I would hope again for, for God's people, this would be characteristic of them. Again, from the pastoral epistle, 2 Timothy 4, 5, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Uh, you have also uh, from Hebrews 13, 17, uh, obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Now, the last one is named sincere. Is this represents the value of a minister who has a pure, godly intentions. His sincerity towards God is seen in his holy living, and thus he is highly esteemed by his people. He is a transparent man, who means, flip the page here, what he says to his flock, having no ulterior, ulterior motives. When he warns his people of the evil and damaging consequences of sin and how deep in the heart it can hide, these cautions pierce the people's consciences for they, for they know that he warns them for their own good. He is patient with the weak. He is a shepherd who has a right, sincere, and godly interest and intention for his flock. And the word sincere or genuine, uh, you have lots of 2 Corinthians 1.12. For our boasting is this, that the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and so on. You have 2 Corinthians 2.17, and then finally it's, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, verses 3-6. through 6. All right, so again, four shepherds, these, uh, they, they, they represent qualities and characteristics and traits um, you would hope, again, and pray for, for the leaders and for the, the ministers and the elders in your church. Any thoughts, questions on this at all? Well, that was easy. Okay, let's talk about some hills. So I like this, the shepherds. They're, uh, they're, they bring the, the, the pilgrims to a place of rest. They, they sleep, they eat, they drink. Um, and then the shepherds go, we need to show them some things, these pilgrims some things, all right? So what they're going to do is they're going to take them to a, a, a couple hills and mountains. And think of these things. That, uh, these are hills because I know we're talking about Texas. You don't have hills here, right? You got bumps. And so these are hills where people can fall off and die kind of hills, all right? So cliffs, hills, mountains, you get the idea here. Now, the first one's called error. Error. The shepherds take Christian and Hopeful to the top of the, hill, top of the hill and have them look over the cliff. They see at the bottom several men who have de- been dashed all to pieces by a fall that, that they have had from the top. Those who lie dashed in pieces are the remains of those who tumbled into heresy by heeding false teachers. So they think of error, right? Now, it's interesting, again, is that with Bunyan is that um, Christian and uh, Hopeful, they're pretty far along this journey. I mean, we're getting close to the end, all right? Uh, giant Despair is kind of like the really last nasty, terrible kind of experience they're going to go through. But it's interesting is there's there's danger all along the, the, the pilgrimage, okay? That you ain't safe. This is real good language here, good grammar here. You ain't safe until you cross the river, until you enter into your heaven, all right? That again, you will fight the good fight until the day that you die. Follow me? Is that again, there's, there's no reprieve, Satan takes no vacation, there's no holidays. Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are, that you have to fight, the, you have to, to, to be on the alert. You have to be careful, you have to be on guard against anything that's going to try to rob you of your salvation. Yes? Okay, because that's what happens. We get careless, we, get, you know, we, we think we're good, and we get pretty far along thinking, and we let our guard down, and then something bad happens, right? 
And so in this case here, this is false teaching. Again, and so uh, whatever these individuals, they were on pilgrimage, and they basically started listening to false teachers, and of course, then it would have into their destruction. So again, from 2 Timothy, again, from the pastoral epistles, uh, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase even to more ungodliness, and their message will sp spread like a cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are those of that sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already, is already passed, and they have overthrown the faith of some. And that's interesting. They have overthrown the faith of some. These are false teachers in the church who have misled some people. All right. Um, you also have here, too, uh, from uh, Peter's writings. Uh, he's going to talk about Paul uh, in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3 there. Uh, and you see over and over again the warnings against false teachers. False teachers. Why am I saying this again? It's because we have a lot of false teachers in you know in our culture, in society today. And you have to. And I think there's just going to increase. And so you know, take care and be on guard against that. Now the second mountain is called caution. It's on page four of your outline. Christian and hopeful continue to explore, explore the delectable mountains under the guidance of the shepherds. On the first mountain, they were warned of, of drifting into error. If the pilgrims are to navigate the way forward, they must know how to discern truth from error. On the second mountain, they are exhorted to look back. They look down into the valley in the direction from which they came, and there they see blind men stumbling and lost in a graveyard filled with tombs. The mountains, again, each represent a sermon, a passage of scripture expanded by the shepherds. The message on Mount Caution is from the book of Proverbs. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. That's Proverbs 21.16. Now, Christian doesn't recognize at first the proximity of the tombs he now sees to the, uh, to the dark castle from which he's just escaped. He asks the shepherds, what does this mean? As the shepherds explain, he regretfully remembers. The tombs are the castle yard that giant despair had shown to Christian and hopeful in an attempt to discourage them. We just left that place, all right? And so from the mountain they're at, they can kind of see the castle yard. They're looking back, right? And, um, and they see, again, not just the dead people, the dead skeletons and so on. They see men who are wandering around who are blinded. They're blinded. So it says, those who wander amidst the bones are those who, like Christian, found God's way to be rough and sought an easier way. They wander from the way of understanding, and now they're in danger of, of eternal death. Their, their lives have been ruined by despair, blinded to truth, that then they can no longer, they can no longer see any hope. Right? And so it's interesting, again, is that um, hopeful and Christian, if they have this explained to them about the word about caution, is that you've you got to be on guard, you have to be careful about um, not, again, uh, falling into the same sins over and over and over again. And they realize by God's grace they escaped. But, they, but the line in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, it's inter interesting, is that Christian and hopeful both look at each other, the shepherds explain this, and they begin crying. Okay, because they realize there's kind of a shame there, and, and maybe the gratefulness is there, because it just says in the text, then Christian hopeful looked upon each other with tears gushing out, yet they said nothing to the shepherds. Okay. Then the next one here, too, number three, is a byway to hell. Okay, not a highway to hell, a byway to hell. Okay, so this again is a, a door that is a, a, an access way to, to hell itself. It says, this door is on the side of a hill, is a warning not to trifle with sin. It is a byway to hell, a way that hypocrites go in at. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be something he never tends to be. It is possible to live outwardly as a believer in Christ and yet inwardly refuse to forsake and fight against sin. Jesus, quoting Isaiah 29:13, said, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
the lips profess God's praise while the heart embraces sin's pleasures. Okay, and so you can picture again is that uh, the third place they look at um, is a door to hell. Okay, and they see people being dragged into it. And Christians going like, what's going on with this? And the point here is, is that um, these are individuals who profess to be pilgrims, but they're not. We've talked about individuals like this before. All right? And so because they don't forsake their sin, they don't hate their sin, they're not fighting against their sin, they're found to be false believers. And so Hopeful is going to say this, ask the shepherds, I perceive that all of these once had a reputation as being pilgrims, just as we do. Had they not, the shepherds say yes, and some held on to it for a long time too. Hopeful said, this is on page five of your outline, how far they went on, went on in pilgrimage, yet notwithstanding, they were miserably cast away. And so these guys, these, these professing believers supposedly, went a long way. Okay, they were uh, pretty extent, uh, they had uh, been professing Christians for a long time, and yet they fell away. And this is the whole point with Pilgrim's Progress. Bunyan says that, again, is that um, don't assume, don't presume, don't get careless. Um, be careful, because the scripture over and over talks about, about you know, heeding God's word, uh, being cautious, um, be, being careful, and don't uh, take your salvation for granted. Right, because there are, there are false believers and who will fall away. And maybe you've known people, again, who've been Christians for a long, long time. For a long, long time, they're, pilgrimage for, they're on pilgrimage for a long time, and then something happened. Right? They fall into some great sin, and they never recover. Right? And it happens. I, I've known lots of individuals who've been big, kind of that, that description there. And so Hopeful and, and, uh, and Christian are kind of shook up about this, and, and rightly so. So it says here, um, and the pilgrims said to each other, we had need to cry to the strong one for strength. And the shepherd says, yes, and you also have need to use that strength when you, when you have it. And then on page five of my outline, it says here, in order to emphasize the seriousness of their lesson, the shepherds point to several biblical examples. Esau, who sold his birthright, Judas, who betrayed Jesus, Alexander, who rejected the faith and blasphemed God, and Ananias and Sapphira, who had lied to the Holy Spirit. All of these once appeared to be among the faithful. No one would have suspected that such as these would, could fall away. Yet their lives were, what, uh, were but a show of pilgrimage, and in the end they were miserably cast away. And so again, you have, uh, in fact, uh, I don't, I'm going to have this in the next section here, but after they leave the Delectable Mountains, um, Christian and Hope are going to run into another individual um, who's basically is tied up by these demons, and they're being dragged back to this, this door. Right, and and basically he has a sign on the back of his on his back saying a false professor of faith. All right, and so again, and, and the point again is just, and just to, to emphasize again is that Paul reminds us to examine ourselves to make sure that we are in the faith. Second Corinthians talks about this. Examine yourselves. All right, and that's what Bunyan's challenging. He said, make sure again, ask the hard questions. Uh, am I really a Christian? And why am I a Christian? Now, we have some negatives. We have some negatives. I feel like it's kind of been a bummer. The last one is a hill called Clear. Okay, Clear. Now, Mount Clear represents our unobstructed view of Christ and His glory, especially as we mature in our faith and near the end of life's journey. As our time on earth grows shorter and the, the allure of the world grows weaker, our desire for the glories of Christ in heaven grows stronger. I like that line there, okay? Hopefully, as we grow more mature and we go along the path more, the attractions of this world get less. Okay, 
And so it's interesting is that uh, the pilgrims or the shepherds, they've got this look, Bunyan says like a looking glass, essentially a telescope, right? And so he tells the pilgrims to look through the telescope and what they do when they look through the telescope, they can see the celestial city. They can see it, all right? And it's often a distance, but they're closer to it than when they were because they had before times, like when they first started, if you remember this, when they first started, they always do this thing where they say, can you see the, the gate? You know, I can kind of see it. You know, it's kind of a, I see a glimpse of it. And then when he gets to the interpreter's house, there's a, there's a place at the end when they, he's at interpreter's house, there's another, they have a balcony, and they're at kind of a high point, and they say, can you see the light? Can you see it? And, it, and Christian kind of says, well, I, I can kind of see it. All right? And my point here is I'm asking you is, can you see it? Can you see heaven? Can you imagine? I, I can only imagine. Okay, you know, I'm not going to sing that song. Okay, but um, <laughs> I was going to, though. Okay, so, um, but that's the point, again, is that, that there's this, this longing for heaven, right? That as, especially when we get to the next, uh, the next lesson, the last one on Sunday, is that as you read the book of Revelation, as you read Scripture, as you meditate on these things and think about these things, again, um, you know, you, this is your home. Heaven's your home. Right? You want to be with Jesus. Yes? Praise, yes, I hope so. Okay, yeah, because again, this is, what the whole, this is the point of this whole story again is that they're leaving the city of destruction and they're enduring all these challenges and all these problems and all these battles and all these things and it's worth it in order to reach heaven, the celestial city. And remember, that is a story for every pilgrim. That's us. And so they're looking through that little telescope and they have a better picture of it and they're, they're hungry for it. And my question for you and me, are we hungry to be in heaven with Jesus? Right? Because sometimes I think we get very comfortable in this world. Far too comfortable. And the Lord sometimes has to slap us around. Not slap us around. He has to remind us, okay, that this world is not our home. I've been recording. I can't, I can't take that back. Okay, so the shepherds say, okay, on your way, on your way. You want to go? On your way. So the last one on the page bottom there says um, they give him some things. First, they give him a note, all right? Instructions on finding and staying on the right path. It's really important again. You know, stay on the path. Stay on the path. And why am I saying this? Because you and I need to stay on the path, right? And then also warnings of dangers that lie ahead. They're going to be this guy called the flatterer. A flat earth, okay, you get the idea. Not flat earth, flat earth. And a warning not to sleep on the enchanted ground. And then finally, a prayer that God will bless them, go with them, and safely bring them home. All right, and so um, that's uh, a valuable and important there. Now, let's talk about ignorance real quickly here. Um, they run into this, this uh, I'm going to read this, and then they slept, and I dreamed again. I saw two pilgrims going down the mountains along the, the highway towards the celestial city. Now, a little below these mountains, on the left-hand side, lies this country of conceit. From this country, a little crooked lane enters the narrow way in which the pilgrims were walking. Here they met a, with a very, little, a very little boisterous lad named Ignorance who came out of that country. So Christian asked him where he was going and where he was, came from and where he was going. Now, we've seen this before, all right? All right? Constantly, there's these byways, there's these shortcuts on the path, right? And typically, these guys have not gone through the wicked gate. They don't have the, 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 the scroll. They don't have any, again, signs of salvation at all, okay? They're false believers. And, of course, um, uh, ignorance, it's interesting, is that he's, that, uh, he's a character who's going to start here, and in the next chapter, he plays a very big role. The point about ignorance is that um, he presumes upon the grace of God. He's the religious type. He goes to church. He, want, he thinks he's a good person. 
And that should be a red flag right there. Anytime any person who's claiming kind of to be a Christian who thinks they're good, man, you haven't read the Bible apparently. All right, you don't know the gospel. All right, um, this guy thinks again; he's got it all together, um, and um, he can basically take all these shortcuts and trust in his own understanding about what is salvation. And Christian and Hope are going to take him to task, especially in the next chapter. They're going to say, "Like, dude, you are ignorant." Answer them, ignorance. Okay, um, and you're lost, and you're in danger of going to hell. In fact, you're not even a believer. And ignorance basically, you know, he's like, ah, you have your religion, I have my religion. You know, it's all about just love one another and just religious toleration. And it's not going to end well for ignorance, by the way. The next character on page seven here is atheist. Okay, how much more can I say about atheists? You got to run into an atheist. Okay, now this is a, a person who went on pilgrimage supposedly, supposedly for all the wrong reasons. He's another one of these types, and he's uh, he's walking the wrong direction, right? So hopeful and Christian are going one way, and atheist is coming the other way, and they run into each other, and basically, you know, atheist asks them, well, where are you going? And hopeful and Christian goes, we're going to Celestial City. And then atheist just basically just scorns them, laughs in their face, saying, there's no such place. There's no such place, right? I've looked. Trust me on this, okay? It's all a fairy tale. It's an illusion. It's a lie, okay? And why am I saying that in our culture, again, it's an atheistic culture, Right? We're constantly surrounded by people telling us that it's a lie, it's an illusion, it's a figment of your imagination. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's just religion, right? And so we live in an atheistic society, again, that keeps trying to, to uh, get us off the path and, uh, and not be faithful to the Lord. Now, finally, real quick, I've got four minutes. I can do it. On uh, page nine, they continue on, and they reach what's called the Enchanted Ground. And this is not a coffee house, which I do have a picture there, by the way. <laughs> this is a ground where um, there's these, um, they get sleepy. Okay, so it's almost like Wizard of Oz. I don't know if I can use this or not. You know, I remember when Dorothy and there, you know, they got the poppies. Okay. Um, and <laughs> so they get sleepy. And so what happens here is that um, they've been warned, right, to not uh, fall asleep. And you've already seen this over and over and over again, is that um, in uh, the story, there have been people who have been asleep, spiritually asleep, right? I mean, this is like a big, big, big problem. Um, I highly recommend to you, if you get a chance, to listen to Charles Spurgeon. He has a, actually a sermon on the enchanted ground, and you can read it too. But the point of this is that there's a problem uh, a lot of times that where the church falls asleep, there's a church when it becomes lethargic. Uh, it becomes a problem when, when our faith becomes lukewarm. So, for example, when we come to church, you know, our, is our anticipation to worship, to meet, to come uh, as God's people to, before the Lord? Um, is there a love for His Word? Uh, when we hear it preached, are we, um, are we hungry for it? Are we listening to it? Are we being challenged by it? Are we being rebuked by it? Or are we going like, damn, what time is this thing going to get done with, man? I got lunch plans. The cowboys are playing tonight. I got you know, to get home, all right? Um, or is the, um, the uh, you know, your religion, again, is it just a religion where your heart has become cold, right? Um, that's the enchanted ground, right? And so Spurgeon just takes it to you. If you listen to that sermon, um, there's a huge challenge there is that when we get comfortable, when we become lukewarm, when basically life is pretty simple, easy and simple and there's not really anything that's really a, no huge trial, um, we find again that our, our love for the Lord, our love for His Word, our love for His people 
um, becomes just almost like it's just a, a ritualistic, formalistic, uh, empty, um, and we got to be careful about that. Especially if you've been doing this for a while, again, that it becomes, again, just a routine, right? And so the enchanted ground, when they go through that, uh, hopeful becomes sleepy, and Christian, as, again, taking the other role, basically says, let's talk. And what they do is they talk again about salvation. They talk about how Hopeful became a Christian. They talk again about the Word of God. And pretty much God uses that to awaken Hopeful, who's becoming sleepy. Right? And so uh, I want to encourage you this morning again, as, just, as we, we've been going through the story, you know, that, um, you know, what is God saying to you today? You know, where is God speaking to you today? I know when I, when I study this and have to, 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 to think about it and so on, I get rebuked a lot. I get rebuked a lot. I get challenged a lot. So this whole thing, for example, on Enchanted Ground is that I don't want to be a slave in the light. Okay? I want to be sober. I want to be, again, uh, alert. I want to be sensitive to the lead in the Spirit of God. I want to, again, ask the Lord to, to wake me up. Right? And so, again, I encourage you this morning, and we'll just uh, continue on with our, our worship. So, God bless.